Welcome to Mining the Truth with Ray Sturdivant. Thanks for joining us today as we continue wrapping up our series on the end times prophecies. Here's Ray. Hi, I'm Ray Sturdivant. We're studying end times and I'm here with Danny Jacobs and John Lay. How are you guys? Doing well, Ray. Yeah. Well, we're going to have a little fun today. If you remember, we covered uh, allegories and terminology used in end times prophecy. So, hey, I want to see how well you're listening. So, um, so I just wanted to throw a few of these out. Fish represent disciples. Uh, well, see uh, how well we do. So we keep scoring. <laughs> what do you win? <laughs> so, what do the fish represent? That's all I want to know. That, that's yeah. what you put on the back of your car. It means you're a Christian, right? <laughs> Close. They really do. No, they're, really? yes, disciples, followers. Um, interesting, in the New Testament, they represent followers of Jesus for the most part. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the Old Testament, fish, you know, can represent followers of an evil dictator. So, yeah. Wow. Kind of interesting. <laughs> and even the terminology of, you know, some of the, the fishing terminology is used, you know, where, you know, like uh, in Ezekiel 38.4, like the, you know, the Gog prophecy, I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, mm-hmm. and I will bring you out and all of your army, horses, and horsemen. And all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords. You can see the analogy of, yeah. you know, being lured by a hook in the jaw. So, anyway, kind of interesting. And uh, just think of it always as as followers. Like I said, New Testament's typically it's Christian, but in the Old Testament, it can uh, certainly be followers of an evil dictator. You know, another Ezekiel 29.3, I just wanted to throw this one out. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster that lies in the midst of his rivers, that has said, My Nile is mine, and I myself have made it. I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your rivers cling to your scales, and I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers, and all the fish of your rivers will cling to your scales." So this is all of his followers, uh, you know, the the leader mm-hmm. of Egypt in the end times, and all of the fish clinging to the scales are the the followers of of this dictator. So what does the woman in Revelation twelve represent? If you are, if you remember, I'll go ahead and read the passage. Yeah, Revelation yeah. twelve one: yes, A great sign appeared in she heaven, a woman clothed Thanks. with the sun and the moon under her feet. And on her head, a crown of 12 stars. Well, I'm going to guess, maybe conjecture here, the 12 is like the tribes of Israel. Yep. So she represents um, Israel. Not to Way to go, Danny. Way to go, man. You win the prize. Um, So what does the stone or rock represent in Daniel that crushes the The beast? The Muslims got themselves a rock. Yes. They circle around it. 
You know, it's uh, Christ is represented as rock <laughs> throughout Scripture, mm-hmm. and it's very cool that he is re- that he is represented in Daniel two and Nebuchadnezzar's dream as the stone that crushes the Antichrist. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I have a country called Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> Two ball. So what does the statue of Daniel 2 represent? That's kind of complex, isn't it? I mean, Yeah, that one may be too. There's like a, it represents several different countries, right? Am I yeah. wrong? Yeah, it does. You know what those countries are? <laughs> uh, let's do it real quick. Sketch of the statue. Uh, that'd be helpful, yeah. He has a head of gold. He has a breastplate and arms of silver. He has a waist and thighs of bronze. And he has legs of iron. The feet of clay and would be toes of Egypt. iron and clay. And so those are those represent progressive empires of the region that Daniel is going to be prophesying about. Okay, so one right, of them is which like, are one all of them the like Muslim Greece. nations. One of them is Greece. That would be the bronze waist and thighs. Well, the feet of uh, the toes, yeah. the uh, the toes of clay and iron are the ten toes. That's the Antichrist Empire. Okay. Yep. Okay, In my so, opinion. So the uh, gold would, would that be either like Persia or Babylonian or that's the Babylonian Empire, is, uh, okay. Iran. You guys are good. <laughs> we were taught well. <laughs> sure. So I think the only one we haven't covered is the silver breastplate. That's got to be the Roman Empire. That would be the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, so if you think about it, it these are progressive. So it's uh, where modern-day Iran. It was a larger region than that, but Iran was part of it. <clears throat> so the head of gold is the Babylonian Empire. So that was Nebuchadnezzar was ruling the Babylonians at that time, and so that's the first empire that's mentioned in the dream. So these are progressive. So the Babylonians were defeated by the Medo-Persians. Right, right. So that's the next, the, the chest. Then they were defeated by the Greek Empire. And then Daniel jumps from the Greek Empire all the way to the end times empire. Now, those that see Rome in this say that the legs you know, are the Roman Empire and there's a revived Roman Empire, but there's nothing in this statue. There's nothing in the book of Daniel that mentions anything about a revived empire. It's always going from the Greek empire always to the end times empire. And that's truth, you know, with several of the passages. We're going to take a quick break and come back in a few. You've been listening to Mining the Truth with Ray Sturdivant. If you have questions or comments for us, you can email us at ray at miningthetruth.com. Also, we'd like to ask that you take a minute and prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. And if God has prompted you to do so, just go to mindingthetruth.com and click donate. Thanks again for listening. Now back to Ray. So welcome back, and I have another question for you guys. What do the mountains represent in Revelation and Daniel? Are they kingdoms? Yes, they are. You know, throughout Scripture, mountains represent kingdoms, power seats, 
you know, it is the, it's, it's like his holy mountain. Yes. His holy mountain is God's power. It's his kingdom. It's his, I'll call it a seat of power. So what did the heads of the beast in Revelation represent? Heads of state? Kind of the same thing as the mountains. You know, it's another analogy to, you know, a kingdom or a king or a, mm-hmm. a seat of power. Like decision-making is in the head, so the, the big decisions are made there. Danny, did you know John was as deep as he is? Yes, I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think it's interesting, and I think it's compelling that you always must go back and look at how these terms were used when they when they wrote these things. Yeah, back in the day. Because that's how yeah. that's how we know what those terminologies really, really mean. We don't need to extrapolate anything about mm-hmm. those, right? Yeah, right. No. It's just it's just like what um I don't remember which series we were talking about, but we were talking about the mark of the beast mm-hmm. on your forehead. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, according to you, Ray, that uh, that really means just your thoughts, where your heart is, where your loyalties are. It doesn't mean necessarily your physical forehead. Yeah, I mean, right? it's, yes, there, it, it is used symbolically. It is also literally used, you know, in the day, uh, what, what was it called? The Oh... There was a little box that the Jews would put scripture in and wear on their yeah. forehead. So, I mean, it is there is a literal example, but mm-hmm. there's also symbolic. So I didn't yeah. want to imply that there's only symbolic, but it's both. And that's why I believe that it could be, you know, not necessarily a literal mark. It could right. be symbolic for your worship or reverence. Buying into the ideology. You know? Yes. And, and I think that's a mistake that we make if we don't understand the Bible's symbolism and try to create our own. Sure. Well, it creates other issues, too, with the idea, in my mind, of, you know, threats or man being able to take away your salvation simply by forcing you, Mm. you know, to take a physical mark. Yeah, that, body. I agree. That's always I don't know many people who, you know, would sacrifice their children or themselves, you know, right. Just okay, put the mark on me, fine. But that doesn't mean that your loyalties lie there. Yeah, and it also doesn't... Only God can know that, right? Yeah, and it also is makes the, the gospel itself unclear. Right. Yeah, the gospel is either faith alone in Christ alone, and I am saved by grace, and I'm secure in that, or I'm not. Not if whether some man, you have a mark on your body. Yeah, right. if some man can come force me to take a mark, and that forfeits my salvation... That's a contradiction to me of a true understanding of the gospel. So or it always you're bothered an atheist me. atheist and you took the mark and then became a Christian later. You right. had the mark on you. Yeah, right. I mean, does that mean we just wouldn't evangelize people that have marks? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <Make it easier. laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> you know, one of the fascinating parts of this study for me is we have so utilized the term Antichrist that I think sometimes we miss verses that are talking about the Antichrist because we don't see those words Antichrist. Right. And yeah. then when you think about it, there's only three passages in all of the Bible that even use the term Antichrist. Mm-hmm. It's not even used in Revelation. <laughs> so <clears throat> we miss and confuse verses, I believe, because I think culturally even the unchurched know what the Antichrist is. become a, you know, a colloquial, whatever that's called, a phrase. Right. That is so common 
that it's lost its meaning. It's made mainstream culture. Yeah. Like yeah. liberal. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> well, let's read the three passages that mention the Antichrist. The first one is in 1 John 2.18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. The second passage is 1 John 2.22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. The uh, last passage we find in 2 John 7. I'm sorry, 2 John 1, 7. There's only one chapter anyway, but... For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver in the Antichrist. I find it fascinating that the writer of 1st, 2nd John, who talk about the Antichrist, also writes the book of Revelation and never uses the term Antichrist for the end times ruler. Yet we think of Antichrist and it's Almost like if we don't see those words, we get confused on who it's talking about. And I did a list somewhere in this study, and I can't remember the exact number, but there's something like 14 different names used for the Antichrist. So we have to uh, not get too hung up on these titles and look for who the passage in context is referencing. And, the, and his attributes, like denying deity of Christ. And yeah. Such. Yeah. And deception. That's, yes. The deceiver. Very interesting that uh, deception is actually a a virtue in, in, in Muslim Islam. circles, right? Yes. Uh-huh. That you know, it's uh, it is good to deceive your enemies. Right. Yeah, if you yeah, matter of fact they call what didn't they say Muhammad was the great deceiver or Allah is the great Allah's deceiver? Allah is the great deceiver. Allah is the great deceiver. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if you think about it, it's the exact opposite of the command in Christianity. Uh, Christianity, you are to pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, never you know, lie. Truth is never lie. The, truth is important. You know, God is truth. And so he places a high value on truth. And we are always to be truthful, you know, even in circumstances where it really uh, would benefit us to tell a lie. So Christianity is uh, in stark contrast to me to Islam. That's all the time we have today. I'm Ray Sturdivant, Mining the Truth. Thanks for listening to Mining the Truth with Ray Sturdivant. If you have questions or comments for us, email us right here at ray at miningthetruth.com. We welcome your comments and hope you'll join us next time for more of End Time Prophecies.